Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm talking with Tanya Dalton of the Productivity Paradox podcast. Tanya's show is a fairly new entry into the Productivity Podcasts space. In this conversation, we talk about what the Productivity Paradox is, why to-do lists don't necessarily work, why we are addicted to saying yes and how we can start to say no properly, why you should not eat the frog, and much more. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome Tanya Dalton to the show. Welcome, Tanya. Well, thank you so much for having me. So you have a brand new productivity podcast, which I'm thrilled to welcome if I mean, it's not my th- authority to welcome, but I'm saying, hey, well, <laughs> welcome to all the podcasts out there that are few and far between that are specifically geared towards productivity. Well, thank you. You know, someone has to head up the welcome wagon, right? <laughs> right. Well, do you. So, well, thank you. And, you know, it's one of those things where uh, we were just kind of chatting before we got started about, you know, productivity is the foundation for so many aspects of your life. It's kind of surprising that there's not more productivity focused podcasts out there. Yeah, there's so many business specific or entrepreneur specific. And we, you know, I mean, we cross into that realm, but mm-hmm. only because productivity is good for everyone, you know? Yeah, I'm hard pressed to think of a person who does not benefit from productivity, to be honest with you. Yeah. So if, if somebody wants to find your show in, say, iTunes, how would they search for it? Mm-hmm. Well, the name of my podcast is Productivity Paradox. Or you could go to inkwellpress.com slash podcast, and that should bring you right to it on iTunes. Awesome. So, and I want to point this out, productivity paradox. So a paradox is something that's like two different things that are true at the same time, but one's false and one's true. Or in Mm -hmm. other words, it doesn't feel like it's a natural fit and they're opposing things. What is the productivity paradox? That's a good question. So productivity paradox is based off a term from Robert Solo, who's uh, an American economist who's won the Nobel Prize. And what he found that he thought was really interesting about productivity is that when you look at business, when you look at, you know, how lives work, you see that technology increases the effectiveness and the efficiency in all areas. The one place where technology is not as effective is in productivity. And so to him, he said, this was the productivity paradox. So to me, what that really means, it's not about whether you use technology or use paper planning. To me, what the paradox truly is, is that people talk about productivity systems and they expect the systems to be the center. And then you work your life around these systems. And in my opinion, it's the opposite. 
It should be your life at the center, your priorities, your focus, your, your purpose. That is the center. And you need to design productivity systems that work around that so that they really do work for you and the things that you want to focus on. So that's the paradox and that so many times we we read about these productivity tips or these, you know, here's a productivity hack and it's like, you have to do X, Y, and Z, right? And it's like, well, does that really work for your life? Does that really promote your priorities? So uh, that's where the name productivity paradox comes from. Very cool. It sounds to me like you're saying that or you're interpreting the productivity paradox statements that he made into basically this metaphor that technology is a tool in and of itself and mm-hmm. those can be interchangeable. What really matters is if we take this tool metaphor to a, a say a different context, like say, uh, cause I just had some work done on my house, uh, carpentry or masonry or different things like that, different skill sets in that way. Um, that it's not necessarily going to matter which tool it is that, well, I mean, you got to pick the right tool for the right job. Don't get me wrong. Right. I'm not Absolutely. saying that, but what Can't I am saying. You a screw in a screw. Yeah. You have to use the right tool. Yeah. So, so many people, though, when it comes to productivity, I think you're saying focus on specifically the tools that you <laughs> should be using instead of actually having the skills of a carpenter, knowing, having the know how to actually know how to choose the right tools based on the right job. Yes, absolutely. To, to me, what it is, is really productivity is personal. And everyone's productivity is should be individualized for them and what is important to them. Um, what I think happens is people get a tool, let's say a planner. So I do happen to offer planners. But, you know, what I tell people when they purchase the planner is, you know, you have to take it and make it your own. How is this tool going to work for you? And that's part of the reason why we include videos on productivity along with the planner so that people can unlock what is important to me. How should I be using this? A lot of people look for that magic trick, that magic bullet that's all of a sudden going to unlock the entire productivity vault to them. And they're suddenly going to be able to do all the things, right? And there's no magic tool. There's no magic bullet. You have to really figure out how to use the tools so they work the best way possible for you. Not for your best friend, not for your mother, for your spouse, how they're going to work the best for you with your own personal priorities and your own personal goals. Um, And that to me, it's like what you said, you have to have the skills. So figure out how you're going to get these to work. Don't just expect it to work just because it's sitting in front of you. Exactly. Well, I love that you're having this approach with productivity. And honestly, I'm going to say something that's going to sound completely crazy to my audience, but not every productivity podcast is one you have to listen to. Mm -hmm. And so if you need my permission to stop listening to my show and listen to Tanya's instead, because it's better for you, I give you that permission. You're free. Go ahead. Do what you need to do. You know? (laughs) Yeah. Isn't that weird? But like, that's, it's the, like, I would be selling a lie if I said, no, my show, the only one, listen to me and me only. No, like I'm, and I'm guessing the people that are listening to this show probably listen to multiple productivity podcasts. So Mm -hmm. I want them to check yours out because I want them to approach things from multiple perspectives because we are all different. There is no one size fits all. Sometimes, you know, a to-do list is going to work for some people. It's not going to work for others. But anyway, you, you see where I'm going. 
Oh, absolutely. And I'll be honest, because I mirror that same exact phrasing that you just talked about when I'm talking about whether it's the, the podcast or with my planners that I sell, um, because I do have weekly and daily planners. And I tell people all the time, like, I don't care if you don't use my my tools. What I care about is that you're creating a system that works for you. So if some uh, somebody else's planner works better for you, that's okay. You know, I want you to find the tool that works the best for you. Uh, and ultimately, that is really what matters the most. So um, people who listen to my podcast don't have to, you know, purchase anything on my store. They don't have to, you know, use any of my products. What I really care about is finding the things that really matter to you and making your life work around that. So let's talk about some of those things that say, instead of we, instead of us getting hung up on the tools, what mm-hmm. should we be focusing in on when it comes to our personal productivity? To me, I believe that the first step when you're talking about productivity is kind of reflecting back and figuring out looking back over, you know, whether it's the last 12 months or the last 36 months or however long and figuring out what are the things that are truly important to me. When you look back over the last 12 months, what are the things that you regret that you didn't do? Uh, What are the things that you wouldn't want to repeat? What are the things that that stick out to you is like, oh, that that really hurt? Because generally, those are the things that are really tied to what is important to you. We have a tendency to say yes, 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 yes to everybody else. And we say no to ourselves, right? One of the things I say often is every time you say yes, you're saying no to something else. And every time you're saying yes to somebody else, usually what you're saying no to are your own priorities, your own focus, your own purpose and those things. So when you start looking at what are the things that are truly important to you, that begins to act as a filter. So I have an episode of my podcast where we walk through how you figure out what your mission statement needs to be and how you write out a mission statement. And I believe you use that mission statement as your filter. And that's your filter for when you're going to say yes to things, when you're going to say no to things, what you want to block your time to do. If you're batching your tasks or you're doing time blocking, that is ultimately what drives everything else. So a lot of times I refer to your mission statement as your North Star, because it's your guide. Even if you get off the path that you're on right now, the North Star will always guide you back. So to me, that is really what's at the heart of what's important to you. And what's important to you is at the heart of your productivity. And see, what you just talked about really doesn't have anything to do with choosing which task management system or Mm -hmm. app or whatever you know, that you have out of these myriad of choices to choose from. However, it does tie into maybe the creation of a daily or weekly to-do list or a planner. I know that you sometimes have said that a to-do list is outdated. Why is that? Well, I believe, so the to-do list actually started back in around 1918. uh, And it was started for um, Bethlehem Steel Company to get their executives uh, working a little bit more focused. So they came up with this concept of the to-do list. And the way it worked was at the end of the day, the executives would sit down and they'd write down, I believe it was the five things that they were going to work on the following day. So the to-do list started off with these great intentions of giving you a lot of focus. Here's five things I need to work on, and I'm going to work on those the following day. 
Well, what's happened is over time that has stretched and gotten a little bit out of shape, right? Now we have these to-do lists that are incredibly long. Um, they're so easy to add to. We don't think twice about just tossing another item onto that to-do list. So to me, the to-do list generally is way too long to be achievable in a day. And I think there's a lot to be said for setting up your days to be achievable. That is one of the keys to ending your day feeling successful and feeling satisfied. But um, the, the other issue I really have with to-do lists is that they're not organized. They don't really tell you where to start. People get overwhelmed when they look at these long to-do lists. And overwhelm isn't having too much to do. It's not knowing where to start. So if you have a long list, what, what are you going to start with? You don't know. So nine times out of 10, what people do is they look at the easiest tasks and they, they want to do those first because those are easy, cross off the list. They get a little hit of dopamine every time they cross something off their list, <laughs> right. right? It feels good. It feels really good. So they cross it off. And at the end of the day, they've done all these insignificant tasks, these unimportant things, and they've done a lot of them, but they haven't really moved forward in the direction they want to go. And that's why they feel unsatisfied or that they haven't done enough. So to me, what you need to do is use a priority list. And it takes no more time than making a to-do list. But essentially what you do is you have a list that's got three little tiers. So the top tier is immediate. So those are items that are important and urgent. Then you have the second level, which is important items. So these are important, but not necessarily urgent. And then you have your third tier, which is insignificant, which is unimportant, but urgent. Now, what I have found in my research is most people start with those urgent items. And even though they're not important, those are the fires that are screaming out to you, right, that need to be put out. So people take care of those things first instead of taking care of the things that are truly important. So if you go with your list and you start plugging it into whether it's immediate, important or insignificant, that begins to show you where you need to start spending your time. You start at the top at your immediate tasks, the ones that are important and urgent, and you take care of those. And then you spend the majority of your day in the important priority level. And the reason why you want to do that is because this is the area where you're going to be able to see the most growth. It allows you to be in a proactive position rather than reactive. So you have more time. You can really dive deep. If you're doing things that are creative, it allows you to be more creative with your solutions. It allows you to spend the time you really want to put forth your best work. And if you're spending your time on important items that are not urgent, guess what? They don't become urgent. They don't become the fires that then you're having to be reactive to and put out quickly. So that to me is what the ultimate goal is, is spending the majority of your day on things that are important, because that's really what is moving you in the direction that you want to go in. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent 
fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch-your-own-shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety in your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort. Thanks to Shopify magic, your AI powered all-star sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash beyond when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I know that you have a particular perspective on the phrase, uh, eat the frog. How does uh-huh. that relate to what you were just talking about? Well, I think so. If, if people aren't familiar with Eat the Frog, I'm sure they are because uh, they listen to you talk about all kinds of productivity things. But Eat the Frog is basically that concept where you take your worst task or the task you're dreading the most and you do it first. You eat the frog at the beginning of the day because the rest of your day will be so much easier. And I, I understand the, the logic behind that. I can totally see how that makes sense. You want to get this done so you can move past it. But to me, the problem with eat the frog is this. If you have your very first task as something you don't want to do, as something that you're really not looking forward to, What's going to end up happening? You're going to end up procrastinating. Oh, I'll work on that later. I'll push everything on my to-do list further back, right? So I like this idea of tackling the you know unsavory things earlier in the day because it's usually when you're freshest anyways, and it does get it behind you. But I believe there is a lot to be said for momentum. So getting a small win at the beginning of your day and then using that momentum to push you forward so you can then tackle this frog that you have to eat. Um, It's kind of like sitting at the bottom of a hill on a bike. If you start from a dead stop, it's going to be really difficult to get up that hill. But if you coast downhill and you use that momentum to push you up the following hill, that's so much easier, right? Even if there's bumps in the roads or there's obstacles in your way, you're able to navigate them because you have that momentum. So I think it's really important to start your day with some sort of small win 
to get that moving. And then you're able to eat that frog much more easily. I think the other question people may want to ask themselves is, do I even need to be the one that eats that frog? Or can I take a little bit longer to do my homework on that thing and maybe delegate it away if possible? Oh, I could not agree with you more on that. I think that delegation is one of those things that people feel, they feel guilty about or they feel like they can't do it. And there's there's a couple of reasons they feel like they should they should be able to do all the things, right? We see that hashtag all the time, all the things. <laughs> or they think that no one else can do it as well as I can. And that is called perfectionism, right? Perfectionism holds us back in so many ways from procrastination and taking on more than we can really handle. Um, and so you really have to walk away from that feeling of no one being able to do it nearly as well as you. And we see this all the time when um, I think a good example is, you know, with a new mom and her husband goes to change the diaper on the baby and um, she goes in there. She's like, oh, you're not doing it. Not, not doing it right. So she takes the baby away and she puts the diaper on. And her husband's like, oh, OK. And then, you know, the next day he goes in, tries to put on the diaper and she's like, oh, you're doing just just give me the baby. Right. Just give me the baby and I'll put the diaper on. Well, what ends up happening is, you know, four weeks down the road, the husband has stopped changing the diapers because who wants to be told they're doing it wrong every time? And then the wife is feeling like, you know what? He never changes the diapers and she's so upset, but you didn't allow him to, you didn't allow it to be delegated. You didn't allow him to do it in the way that works best for him, you know, without some gentle correcting. Uh, So we tend to take things over. So I think delegation is one of the things that is really underused in today's society because we do think we have a way of doing it and this is the right way and nobody else can do it quite as well. So, uh, yeah, I I completely agree with you. Sometimes that frog needs to be given away to somebody else to eat. (laughs) Well, and then there's even the other aspect of the question, which is, is the frog even something that needs to be eaten at all by anybody, me or anyone else in my team? (laughs) Why do we need to eat this frog? Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I think I think that's one of the things that you need to, and that's what I really like about having the priority list system is that when you're writing something down, you are asking yourself, is this truly important? If it's important, it fits under one of those top categories. If it's not, you should either give it away, you should to delegate it, to just say no to it, or leave it for the very end. But I think people forget that they have the ability to say no. I think that people think, well, you know, I don't, opportunity only knocks once. Uh, I don't want to miss out on this. I, you know, what, what if this never happens again, right? We have this fear of missing out. And really, one of the best ways to grow is by cutting back and saying no. Uh, and I think, I think, to be honest with you, Steve Jobs is the greatest example of someone who knew the power of no. Because this is a man who, um, as we know, you know, famously was fired from Apple and then brought back in in 1997. And the first thing that Steve Jobs did was he cut 70% of Apple's products. So he said no to products that were on the shelf, to the products that were in innovation or product development. He said no, 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 no. And uh, you would think by doing that, that would mean that Apple would be losing money. But when he started in 97, they were 300 and Four billion dollars in debt. I believe that's right. And when he went in and cut seventy percent of the products, they ended up a hundred million in profit. 
So that's a huge shift. And all of that is by saying no. So I think people forget that that saying no is a great way to really grow and expand things. They think that you have to say yes in order to do that. And oftentimes it's the opposite. Well, and and there's a, I think, a misconception when it comes to when we talk about that whole idea of, no, you have to have no, you have to say no, you have to practice, you have to master saying no even. You've got to be good at saying no because otherwise you're wasting your resources. And that's all fine and that's all, you know, that's good. I actually recently had a guy on the show uh, from an improv team and they, they, he was talking all about applying the, uh, the improv mentality of yes and where he was saying yes and then anding it up a level and, and having all these happy accidents or opportunities come out of that. And mm-hmm. he was, and I said, well, that count, that sounds counterintuitive because, you know, we're supposed to say no to wasting our time and saying we're, we're supposed to say no to everything that comes up so that we can guard our time. But there's a pair. Well, hey, the paradox. There's a <laughs> there's a paradox between those two things or a push and pull. There's a symbiosis, if you will, of mm-hmm. between yes and no is on the no side of things. If you're saying no to the wrong things, like wasting your time on things you shouldn't be doing, then you are free to truly say yes when it's a real, true, awesome, like, oh, this is an opportunity that if I had said yes to everything else, when this yes that I want to do comes up, I would have to say no to it, unfortunately, you know? I wish you could see me right now because I am nodding my head like vigorously with everything you're saying. Absolutely, because I think everyone has their yes. What is it? What is your yes? Uh, we don't want to just blanket statement say no to everything. We want to to find the things that we do want to say yes to. And saying no to the other things allows us to say that yes. So I love that idea of the yes and with the improv. Um, because you're right. You know, we we oftentimes, one of the topics that we're exploring right now in, on the podcast is chasing your big dreams and goals. And we're talking about some of the stumbling blocks like fear and uh, failure and those things. and and sometimes we're we're afraid to say yes to the things that really will move us forward because we worry about failure, we worry about what that means for us and and all of that. But but those are the yeses that you need to be saying yes to, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's kind of like say for example my kids really want like a certain video game system or something. I'm coming up with this off the top of my head just <laughs> Um and, and yet they want to spend every single dollar that they get as it comes in on say Pokemon cards. Mm-hmm. And so I have to say, look, you can either say yes to this big thing and wait to get it and save up that money or in, you know, metaphorically, uh, non-metaphorically, our, you know, our time and our energy and our resources and our money. Or you can go ahead and have instant gratification now with a yes to the Pokemon cards, but mm-hmm. you're never going to get, you know, that video game <laughs> system if you spend all the video game money on the Pokemon cards. It's that same principle. Yeah, it, it is somewhat difficult to save up money if you're spending it all. Yes. And and I talk a lot about how time and money are the same and that they're a commodity and they need to be treated as a commodity. So every time you're spending, 
this commodity, it, you know, not on Pokemon cards necessarily, but <laughs> scrolling through social media or yes. the things that, you know, really do not move you forward. Every time you're saying yes to those things, you're pulling out of that bank. You're, you're withdrawing funds. And really what you want to do is you want to invest that commodity. You want to invest that in the things that are really going to help you grow and, and, and continue to work in the direction that you want to have your life go. So, uh, so yeah, very similar to Pokemon cards and video games. I agree. <laughs> I think the other thing that we need to do is when it comes to the word no and the word yes, and what we mean by them is that as we practice saying no, we find or, or no appropriately and yes appropriately. We probably should frame <laughs> it better than, than I have. But <laughs> by saying no – to the wrong things, we suddenly find we aren't so, quote, busy anymore. Mm -hmm. Because if we're less frantic busy by saying yes to the wrong things, suddenly we have that time and we are less stressed and we can have, you know, uh, space in our lives to think and plan and have those priority lists. Yes, absolutely. To me, that that white space is so important. So that you can have, you know, the space for, for, for what it is that you really want. There is right now, I think with our society, there is the glorification of the word busy. We feel like we're supposed to be busy. There are, you know, coffee mugs and posters that say, I am very busy. And to me, busy is not a badge of honor. It's not something you should be proud of. Busy just means that you are doing way too much. It doesn't mean you're happy. It doesn't mean you're productive. It means you're doing so many things that you are overwhelming yourself. Um, I often say, of course, that busy is a four-letter word because it really is. How often when somebody says to you, hey, how are you doing? How many times do you answer with the word busy? And busy is not an emotion. Busy is, is not, it doesn't mean that, you know, you're doing anything of any worth. All busy means is that you're running around in circles trying to cram so much on your plate. Um, and it just feels like this is what you're supposed to do. And I'm here, you know, I, I like that earlier you gave permission. I'm here to now give permission to, to not be busy. That to not be busy is actually the state we're looking for. That's what we want to achieve when we're looking for uh, the harmony in our lives. It's not when you imagine your ideal day, is it jam packed, crammed full of things so that you are busy or does it have these open spaces where you can breathe and you can grow and you can focus on the things that you really want to say yes to? I think that's really the question we should be asking ourselves. Yeah, I, I am guilty of when people ask me how I'm doing using that four letter word, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And well, you know, I had. I was going to say, I had to actively make myself, like, make it a habit to not answer that way. Like, if I answered with busy, I'd say, you know what, hold on, let me rephrase that. Not that I'm busy, I'm, you know, I'm feeling good today because, or whatever. But it, I think it's so ingrained in us that that you do start to answer that way without even thinking. Yeah. Well, and, and it kind of lends itself to that because we just kind of bleed or blend our, you know, our work life and our uh, non-work lives together so much when we're trying to balance them. But uh, that's a little bit of a misnomer too, right? Balancing work yeah. and life and all of that. Yeah. Well, I I feel like balance is one of those things that people are always saying, I'm trying to achieve balance. I want to have balance. 
and I'm here to say that, that I don't believe there's any such thing as balance. There is no balance uh, because really what you need is imbalance. You know, think about when you're riding a bike, you have to have balance, right? To be able to ride the bike and go straight. But in order to turn the corner, in order to go in a certain direction, you have to shift your balance and you have to have a little bit of imbalance in order to move in a different direction. So if you have goals or you have aspirations, you have to have a little bit of imbalance in order to move in that direction. So I often talk about the harmony that we're looking for, that we're looking for harmony because balance makes it sound like everything needs to be even, that your, your work life, your personal life, your home life, all of those buckets have to be absolutely even. And that's a recipe for being stagnant and not moving in any direction. What we really want is to have a little bit of counterbalance so that we're moving towards, you know, whether it's a work goal, you're spending more time on your, on your work area of your life. And that's okay because eventually you need to balance that back out and shift over and spend a little more time in your home bucket or in your personal bucket. So I feel like that's one of those things that people are always chasing. It's like trying to get to the end of a rainbow, right? That's where, that's where balance lives, at the end of the rainbow. And you, you can't get to it because it, it doesn't exist. So how do we stop chasing the rainbow? Well, I think a lot of it really is. So I talk a lot about about harmony and trying to find the harmony in the 168 hours of the week. I think that we, when we're looking for balance, we're looking for balance in the 24-hour day, right? We look at our day as individual days and we think, oh, you know what? I didn't make it home to have dinner with my kids tonight. So uh, my, my life is completely imbalanced. I have, you know, I'm working way too hard. I'm not spending any time with them. And we look at that and we go, I don't have balance. But if you look at a week in a whole, right, and you look and you say, okay, I didn't get home for dinner tonight, but I made it home for dinner yesterday, and then I made it home for dinner the day before, and I made it home for dinner the two nights before that, and you start to look and you go, okay, I made it home for dinner five nights out of seven for the past week. That's harmony, right? It's really looking at things from a little bit different perspective. You know, we're so zoomed in and looking at the day and looking at the balance. If you if you kind of scoot back a little bit and you look at like your week or your month as a whole, you might be surprised at how much harmony you really have for those things that are truly important to you. So to me, that's really how you stop chasing balance. You stop looking at these little microcosms of our lives and zoom back and really take a look at the big picture and see if you're not seeing these things that are truly in place that you don't even acknowledge or realize in yourself. So I think what I hear you saying is zoom back a little bit. And instead of being so far zoomed in that in the moment you feel like a failure, take a broader mm -hmm. perspective and see that maybe you're not screwing up as much as you think you are. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think, you know, and I think the other thing when we're talking about balance is you have to think about um, whether your idea of what that looks like is truly realistic. You know, what are the stories that you tell yourself of this is, this is what it looks like. This is what a, this is what a good dad does. A good dad is home for dinner every single night. Well, you know, is that even realistic? You know, certain people with their jobs, they they have to work late, you know, a certain number of days in a week or uh, or they travel or they have things like that. So so is that that story that you're telling yourself that this is what a good dad or a good business owner or a good lawyer or a good entrepreneur, this is what they look like. Are those stories true? 
And if you're hinging whether your life is balanced on these stories, you know, is that really accurate for you? Is it, you know, maybe that the story you're telling yourself, you know, like a good dad comes home for dinner every night. Is it really? No, a good dad just makes sure he spends time with his kids every day. So you don't make it home for dinner every night, but you find the harmony in, you know, maybe going into the office a little bit later. So you have time together in the morning or you meet for lunch, you know, at their school, you know, once every two weeks or something like that. To me, that is what harmony is about. Um, rather than looking at, at the, the, the balance in these little tiny areas of your life. And I think even having a conversation with all parties involved family-wise as to what that role's success looks like, mm-hmm. because, you know, like you said, maybe it isn't being home for dinner every single time, but it's playing with the kids every day. And maybe that's a shift in your permissions for yourself first, but then also finding out what other people's expectations are, you know, in the family of that role, that, that secret rule that you have, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point because, you know, we forget that other people have other perspectives and other ways of looking at things. So, you know, what does, what does your wife define as a good dad? It's, you know, probably very different because two, I think we have to keep in mind that we judge ourselves so harshly. Um, I saw the other day, I saw this cartoon where this woman was said something about, oh, I, she's taking, my friend is taking time for herself and she's making sure that she's exercising and doing all these things. Good for her. And then the other side was, you know, I'm taking time for myself and I'm making sure that I'm exercising. I'm so selfish, right? Oh, yeah. We, we, we give the grace to other people about, you know, oh, you're a good dad. You make it home for dinner, you know, four nights a week. But I somehow am a bad dad because I don't make it home every single night. So we give so much grace to other people that we don't offer to ourselves. So it's, I think it would be really interesting to get the perspective of other people of what they perceive as, you know, what a good dad is or whatever your role is in your life, um, how they perceive it. And I think that can open your eyes a little bit to whether the stories that you are telling yourself are really true or realistic at all. Yeah. It, it makes a huge difference for everybody to be on the same page in terms of expectations, because once that's happening, then everybody can kind of get what they want, or at least way closer to it than what was happening. Absolutely. And I think that's true, whether we're talking about a family, like in this situation, we're talking about a dad. So, you know, a a husband and a wife, or whether it's a team that you have at your office, um, or whether it's, you know, your VA, if you're an entrepreneur that has a VA, or it's, you know, understanding and getting on the same page with other people, there's a lot to be said for that and understanding expectations, your expectations, their expectations, there's a lot of happiness that can happen in that, um, that you don't even realize is there. Yeah. Uh, well, Tanya, it's been awesome talking with you. And I, again, want everybody to go check out your show. We said it at the beginning, The Productivity Paradox. People can just search for that. Or what's the URL again? Inkwellpress.com slash podcast. Awesome. Tanya, I hope that everybody takes a moment to, one, take something away from this episode. But two, go check out your show. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I, I love your show. So it was, it was great being on here. I really enjoyed visiting with you. So I'm curious where you are with the productivity paradox. Are you thinking technology is going to save you and make you more productive? For a long time, I thought that that was going to be the case. I thought I had to have technology to get 
productive, to be productive, to be more productive. And I'm finding that over time, I'm using less and less technology and becoming more and more productive and having more of a peace of mind. And then saying yes to the right things and no to the wrong things and having more time for myself and my family and still getting a lot done. I'd love to hear what you think about this episode. Head on over to the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com slash 201. While you're there, if this episode made an impact for you, would you share it with somebody? Think of that one person who needs to hear what was presented in this episode and share this episode with them. Don't forget our sponsors for this episode that support this show. Head on over to formstack.com slash beyond to get a free trial and 25% off your first three months. And don't forget FreshBooks and how it can save you 192 hours a year or eight days. Head on over to freshbooks.com slash to do and enter beyond the to-do list in the how did you hear about us section to let them know I sent you and support this show. Thanks again for listening and I will see you next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.